Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Process. We're going to do today... We're going to talk about some of the tensions that we face. There is a tension of serving ourselves over God that, that some of us in the room, like, we, we just can't shake. And we're going to walk through what some of those are here today. Before we do that, I, I want to take us back to Romans 7. And we're not going to go through the whole chapter we, we did last week. But what we are going to do is we're going to take you back and, and read an excerpt, kind of read you where Paul talks about the struggle that he has. So look at verse number 15. Romans 7, verse 15. Paul says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I, I, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, then this shows that I agree the law is good. So I'm not the one doing the wrong. It's the sin living within me that does it. So Paul is saying that when he sins, it's, it's unintentional, right? He, he's aware that he's going against the law. The law, we talked about this last week and, and throughout a lot of Romans so far. The law, whenever you see that term, think Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Ten Commandments that kind of thing. So the law, what, what does it do? It identifies, it names sin. It reveals the depth of sin in your life. That is its purpose, to show you how far off track you are, why you need God in your life. And we learned last week, hey, you, you can't blame the rules. Don't blame the law, right? It, it brings clarity. Rules do that. That's actually important. You need something to show you that you're not cut out, that you're not, that you're not really all that you you think you are. Look at verse number 18. And I know that nothing good lives within me, and that is my sinful nature. And I want to do what's right, but I can't. Now that's the tension. This is the tension right here. He lacks the ability to do what's right on his own. If you're in the room and you've been struggling with that, like I want to do the right thing, and I've tried pastor so hard to do it, but man, I keep coming up short. You don't have it within you naturally on your own to do what God, God desires. You can't do the right thing on your own accord. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need the Spirit of God in your life who can empower you to live a life for the Lord. He goes, I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. You follow, you follow Paul here a little bit. It's a little, a little crazy to read this. It's sin living in me that does it. Now, I've discovered this principle of life, he says in verse 21, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. But man, I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power at war within me. It's in my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Man, what a miserable person I am. Who will save me, set me free, right, from this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God, he says. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, man, I'm a slave to sin. Him. Hard not to think when you read this, the tension kind of playing out. He's trying to do the right thing, but he can't do the right thing. It's hard not to think about the words of Christ. You know, Paul's identifying his struggle with God to do the right thing of allowing sin to control him. We talked about this a couple weeks back. We, there, was, there was a question that we, we were in Romans 6 where we, we were talking about this. The, the question was, uh, whom, right, do you serve? Whom do you serve? In Matthew chapter 6, Christ says that no man can serve two masters. You either hate one and love the other. Now, he's talking about money here. Fine, really not money. He's talking about greed. You're either going to love greed or you're, you're, you're going to serve, serve God. But really, honestly, that's, that's a principle that's, that's universal. You can't serve something else and God. It's God or nothing. I mean, it's, it's God. God is it. God has to be everything that you're wrapped up in. And so there's this tension in Romans 7 that's kind of fitting for this thematic question Paul's trying to answer. What does it mean to live for Christ? If I'm going to live for Christ, then I have to address this tension of living by God's Spirit, doing the right thing, or trying to live on my own and my own own accord, known ability, and failing and doing the wrong thing, living according to my sinful nature. So, again, 
Romans 7, super, a lot of theology. We were there last week. This week, we're getting more practical. If you're somebody who likes lists, boy, like this, this, this today is for you. I, I'm not a list person. Anyone a list, like you're a list person out there, like you have all kinds, your, your phone is lit up. Look at this. I know some of y'all are great. I don't do that, okay? Uh, now, I'm not scatterbrained. I, I swear to goodness, I have it all up here. I tr trust me, it's here, it's here. Now, my wife is different. She makes lists for everything. And the Mac Daddy list is that I'm going out of town on a trip. Because then that list, you got everything you have to have. Then there's a list for everything you think you might need. And then there's a list where we have everything that I tell her we don't need, but she says we do need, so we pack it anyway. And so we have like five suitcases. We should have like two. That's, that's, that's how it works in my house with the lists. We're, we're, we're going to tackle this tension today. Uh, I'm going to walk you through three tensions. We're going to use lists to do it. We're going to walk you through three tensions um, that, that we face. Now, on the surface, it might seem like, man, pastor, I don't think we faced these. But if you think about it for a moment, about how we are wired, about how humanity is kind of constructed, just mentally, emotionally, we face these kind of tensions, maybe in slightly different ways, but we face these tensions that Paul faced in his day as well. And we're going to walk through what those are. And the first tension we're going to walk through is, is living the old way versus the new way. Living the old way versus living in the new way. There's an old way of doing things in new way of doing things. Scripture is pretty clear uh, about that tension. All throughout Scripture, from the very beginning of Genesis to Revelation, you have a tension of the old versus the new. What's the old way? Oh, the old way is stuff like, you know, the law, legalism, religion, that kind of thing. That would be the old way. The new way is all wrapped up in Christ. It's faith. It's God justifying you and working in you based on the faith or belief you have within him. That's, 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 that's the new way. All throughout the Gospels. Jesus touches on this tension. It's one of the reasons why the Pharisees just cannot stand him. There's so much tension between Christ and the Pharisees is because Jesus insists on doing things a different way. We're not going to be reliant on the old way of doing things. There's a new way. I'm going to show you what that is. So let's kind of walk through some of these for a moment. The old way is what? The old way is centered on the law. It's all about the law. Everything is rooted in the law itself, right? So again, think, think Deuteronomy, I say, a lot because Deuteronomy is a pretty good summary of what the law was, but that, that's where it's all rooted in. Now, what's the new way? Well, it's not law-centered, but rather it's about the law being written on your heart. And speaking about both Israel's restoration, because at the time, they're in exile in Babylon, all right? So about their restoration and about the future Messiah, so Jesus coming onto the scene. God speaks to a prophet named Jeremiah, and he says this, Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the new covenant that I'll make with the people of Israel after those days. Those days meaning exile and that kind of The Lord says this, I'll put my instructions deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they'll be my people. This is really important. Because God's will is not for you to follow a bunch of rules written on stone, tablet, or even paper pages. That's not his, that's his will for your life. It is for you to follow the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You're following the Spirit of God. I don't murder, I don't cheat, I don't lie, not because the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not. That's not why I'm doing it. It's because the Spirit of God lives within me, and those are contrary to life in the Spirit. And so I'm, I, I don't do those things because God's Spirit is at work within me, and I'm living according to the Spirit of God. The law is fulfilled in Christ, and in living in the Spirit, we talked about this last week, and living in the Spirit, and having the Holy Spirit work within me. My life is living a fulfilled life, not because I did anything, because Christ did it all for me. In keeping with Jeremiah, God says in the next verse that no one's going to say in those days, know the Lord. Not know the Lord in, in like, hey, you should know Jesus. No, he, he, what he means by that is no one will say know the Lord. The, the, the idea of being dogmatic is over. There's no more dogmatism here. We're not going to look at all the rules and, and you know, hey, you've got to follow the rules or else. Like, we're not going to do that anymore. Those days are gone. Instead, you will know God because the work of the Holy Spirit will be evident in your life. Knowing God is, is logical, for sure. 
There is a logical component to that. And there's a lot of folks out there, and I'll throw my hat into this ring because it's part of my own story. Like we, we, we came rooted in our faith because logically it made sense to us that there has to be a divine being who exists. I don't know how else to explain some things. That's where we started, and that kind of got us there. But knowing God is also experiential. A large part of it is the experience. Yes, I know God because I can walk you through logically some steps that got me to that place. But I also know God because I feel God and I sense God. I know God because there are things in my life that have happened that I cannot line up and say, well, it was just coincidence. It was by chance. There, there comes a point where you have so many of those things that occur where you throw your hands up in the air like, you know what? I don't, I just don't know if it's by chance anymore. There's no way. There has to be somebody pulling the strings somewhere, right? Like, knowing God is very much an experience as much as it is logic. They go hand in hand. And so, look, look, when you know the Lord, the Holy Spirit's within you. You know what God desires, what God doesn't desire. You have that feeling. You have that thought. You have that little voice that whispers to you, do this, don't do that, say that, don't say this. It's the Spirit of God. Those are ways you know the Lord. Keeping with that theme, the old way relies on the law. It taught you to, to what? To obey the law or face judgment. You got to obey or, man, judgment is coming for you. The Pharisees constantly sparred with Jesus over this. These are the spiritual elite, right? They constantly spar with Christ over that. Why? Because the new way says follow the spirit of the law. Matthew 5, Jesus is giving his famous Sermon on the Mount, okay? And in the Sermon on the Mount, what he does, he goes, hey, listen, you've heard it said, which is the old way. You've heard it said, the old way of doing things. Don't murder, yeah, that's right, don't murder. The, the laws, I guess, yeah, of course, because the physical act of murder is sin. He goes, yeah, but here's the thing. I'm telling you, if you have anger that's unjust in your heart, new way, heart, right? You've already committed murder. Well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Like, you didn't kill anybody. No, but your heart wasn't in the right place. The one who gave the law... Jesus, in the beginning was the word, word was God, word was with God. He, he gave it, he is it. The one who gave it is telling his, the, the, the audience, the congregation, hey, the spirit, the intent of the law is not that I am concretely carrying out something. No, 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 it's the heart. It's that my heart is in the wrong place or the right place before I act. So before I carry out something that's sinful and an act, my heart is not where it should be. It all starts right here. If your heart is right, it will produce what we call fruit or the outcome in your life. If it's not right, it'll produce things which aren't right. So it all starts there. And so the, the, when you follow Christ, the new way it says you're following the spirit of the law. You're going beyond, in a way, going further than what the law is asking you to do because you're not focusing on an actual act that you're committing so much as it is the heart. Is my heart where it should be? Is my heart right? The old way it teaches obey or face judgment. And the, the motivation with that is, 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 is fear. Fear is the motivation. Go back to Exodus. Uh, in, in Exodus, you've got the people of God running up to Mount Sinai, right? Moses is with them. And really what God, the original attempt behind this is that God would come and reveal himself to the people. But they're afraid. The mountain shakes. There's thunder and lightning. The people are terribly afraid of God. And so Moses, they're like, hey, we don't want to approach him. You go. And so Moses goes up the mountain. But originally, God's intent was that he would be there for all of his people. Fear is your motivation. Christ comes onto the scene, and it's different. He, he acts out of love. He hangs out with kids. He hangs out with the blind and the broken and the widows and the people that folks rejected. He came to absorb the judgment and wrath of God. Why? Because he loves and cares for you. So the cross does. He satisfies the wrath of God. The old way has a veiled understanding of who God is, meaning nothing is very clear with the Lord. Now, to be honest, there's a lot we don't know about God. 
Like, there's a lot we know about God from Scripture, but there's also a lot that we don't know, for sure. But the old way has a veiled understanding because only a select few people have that kind of knowledge of who God is and can experience that presence. But in the new way, you understand who God is completely. Why? Because the Holy Spirit reveals to you who God is. There's a revelation the Holy Spirit brings. It's a priesthood of believers we read about in, in, in the gospel, in the New Testament. Why? Because we are all in this together. The Holy Spirit uses all of us. There's no longer a select few who get to hold the keys to that, who feel the presence of God. No, all of us here can carry with us the Spirit of God, the power of God, the presence of God everywhere we go. The old way is weak. Why? Because you're never good enough. You'll never be good enough. You cannot be good enough on your own power. You can try to carry out all of those commands all day long. But because of what I said earlier, where Jesus talks about the heart being in the right place, hey, we're all, we're all in trouble. Because all of us have had our hearts in the wrong place, right? We can't perfectly fulfill the law. So the old way is weak. It relies on what I can do for God. But the new way, the new way is different. It's marked by Spirit-empowered living, where it's all about what God did for you. And the Spirit of God now lives within you, and He empowers you to live for God. He gives you gifts. He gives you ability. He gives you insight. He gives you things you need, not to elevate yourself, but to live for God and make a difference in the lives of people who are around you. You don't have to be good enough because Christ was good enough for you. The old way brings death. Why? Because if I'm trying to make it on my own and trying to carry out you know, the, the law to the, the letter based on my ability, I'm trusting in myself for salvation. Therefore, when I go into eternity, I'm separated from God forever. But the new way, I'm trusting in Christ. He did it for me. He carried out for me. And so my faith is put in Him. Therefore, I'm trusting in Christ to save me, to do what I cannot do. Second tension we face is, is, is rules-based Christianity. That's the first tension. Here's the second one. Rules-based Christianity. Rules-based Christianity. So it kind of works like this a little bit, all right? Kind of like this. Oftentimes, folks will come to know Christ, um, and then well-intentioned Christians, and I, I grew up in church. I've spent my whole life in church. I've seen this a thousand ways from Sunday. I know what it looks like. Well-intentioned Christians will come along, and they will tell that person, stop doing what you're doing, or start doing this over here, or whatever. And they'll do it, and it's like, you got to go cold turkey now without any real explanation. And, and, and the idea is like, hey, we're going to guilt you into doing what you should do and stop doing what you shouldn't do until you actually do it. And so the problem with that is that the tools of discipleship become the rules of discipleship. And it doesn't actually help. But actually what happens is a new form of legalism comes into the picture and it ropes people in. And, and the thing is, is it kind of looks, it's, it's subtle, but it's all wrapped around guilt. So it's like this. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not praying the way I should be praying. I'm, I'm behind in my prayer. I, I, need, I need to keep. I just feel so bad about that. I got to spend more time with God in prayer. Oh, my, my one-year Bible reading plan, I, I was keeping up with that. You know, they got the Bible app on my phone, you know, and it, it told me today I should read the Bible. Swipe. You know, I can just swipe it away. Like I, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I feel bad, man, that, that, that I'm not giving like I should. I'm not serving the way I should. I, kinda, I just feel guilty about that. And so the, the common denominator here is what? It's guilt. If you feel guilty, right, for not doing things you think you should do on a spiritual level, there's a tension at work. On the one hand, you're probably right. You should step up. On the other hand, it's not the Spirit of God. He doesn't bring guilt. He brings conviction. Who's making you feel guilty? Well, it's John. It's Jimmy. It's Susie. Whatever. Because they're Okay. That, that's a little bit different. Is it not? Here's the truth. It, when, when I feel guilty about things I'm not doing for God, it's indicative of a performance issue. I believe this. This is, what, this is what happens. If I feel guilty, it means I believe that by doing things for God, he's happy with that. I can please God by the more I do for him. And the truth is this. You cannot please God by what you do for God. God is not impressed with your performance. He's impressed with Christ's performance. He's not impressed with your performance. You can't earn God's favor by things you do for God. There, that is, I told you that there's tension today, right? That is a tension of what am I doing for the Lord 
and, and am I living for God? And can I just be honest with you? Pastors, we, we, they struggle with this. Just to give you a little bit of insight. Like, I struggle with this. But you wouldn't believe conversations I have with guys who are pastors, man, about how they struggle with this performance of doing things for God. And if you're not careful, you get way into that extreme instead of living for God. There's a healthy tension that has to be in place. And too often, we'll find ourselves kind of going on, on, on the other end of that. And so what does it look like? I, I want to give you some warnings. So just, just some quick warnings uh, about tension here that rules-based Christianity brings. Here's the first one. It looks like this. A competitive spirit. So rules-based Christianity can create competitive spirit in somebody. And it looks a lot like comparison, but disguises itself as spiritual piety. Right? It's kind of like the, the person who says, you know, I, I, I've, got, I've got some things going on in my life, but, you know, at least I'm faithful to my spouse. I'm not like that guy cheating the company. I'm not like that guy over there whose addiction is destroying his family and friendships. Or like, I got my own problems and my own stuff, but I'm not like those people, right? Like, you know who those people are. Jesus tells a story about this. He goes, there's, 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 a, there's a Pharisee, spiritually, you know, he, he's, he's in the temple, and, and he's praying, and he's like, God, man, I do so much for you. Hey, I tithe, I know the law, I keep the law, you know, and he gives this great, wonderful prayer that sounds so fantastic, and he goes, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy over there, that miserable tax collector who sells us people out, who's full of grief. Like, I'm not like that guy, isn't it great guy? And so there's this tax collector who's over there, and he's not looking at heaven with his arms spread out, thanking God. No, the tax collector is on his knees like this. And he won't even, Jesus says, he won't even look up to heaven. His face is actually all the way to the ground. And he says, beats his chest, and he says, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. He won't even look up. Now Jesus is talking to his disciples here, right? He goes, hey, which person went home justified before God that day? Because it wasn't the Pharisee who said the right things, did the right things, and looked the part. It was the tax collector who was on his face, who felt he was unworthy to even look up to heaven, and he said, I'm a sinner. God, I need you. Like, that's the person whom God's looking for right there. The humble in heart. God can do a lot through humility. He can't do a thing through pride. That's what he's looking for. Rules-based Christianity produces competitive spirits, but it also creates judgment towards the people. We judge folks based on their inability to maintain our standards. The irony behind that is we will hold, you know, strangers to a much higher level than friends and family and just even our own, you know, people that we just kind of put favor towards. We'll create double standards when we, when we do this. It, it, it's seen, there's two places where I see this the most with people. I see it, one with family, right? Well, you know, like I'm all against this, that, or the other, and then, like, it's your kid who comes out with that same issue, that same struggle. Well, I I mean, then your tune changes now because it's like, well, you know, it's, he's my son. It's my daughter. Like, of course. And so it, you, you have a double standard in what you're holding people to. Or I'll see it in voting. I'll see it in people who vote. Well, we, we need a candidate who's a Bible-believing lover of Jesus. We've got to have somebody like that, you know? And so, like, we, we, this person says they love God. They're, 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 hey, we're, we're going to vote for that person over there. Now, meanwhile, that candidate is in the same scandal or similar scandals as the people that you won't vote vote for for the same reasons you won't vote for them but man no 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 it's okay like it's it's that he it's a trap <laughs> you know like admiral akbar it's a trap like whatever it is we we excuse the, the candidate we want to vote for listen i don't care who you vote for if you come rain at church long enough you'll find out that it's it's both sides of the aisle they need the elephant donkey they cannot save you okay but i will say this i will say this if you're going to vote please be consistent Either vote with your spiritual convictions across the board or vote policy, but don't try to justify God if you're going to have an uneven split. Don't do that. But folks will do it. Third thing, it encourages the minimum. 
the minimum. Man, what is the least you can do and still be right with God? What's the least you can do? How much, how much do you have to believe? Like, you know, I believe in God. I think I believe in Jesus. I definitely believe in God. Is that enough? You know, how far do I have to go to be a Christian? Like, I believe in Jesus. I like that. But there's a lot of other options that are out there. Like, it's, it's I don't know. I'm still a Christian, right? I mean, Jesus is one of many. Is, 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 would that not work? Would that be okay? How, how far do you have to go with your boyfriend or girlfriend without it actually being sex? Well, we didn't go like all the way, you know? How much do you have to drink? It's like, well, being drunk's a sin, but I can have X amount of shots. Like, how much do you got to go? You're trying to push the edge before you, before you get where you need to be at. Can I give mostly true statements and it still not be a lie? You know, like, I mean, I did say this. And technically, it's not true, but it sounds good, and it made them feel better. Can I just say that? Would that be okay? It, it's all about what you, can kinda, what you can get away with. That's what rules-based Christianity does. Why is that? Because you have a definitive line. I know if I cross this line, it's a sin. I've gone too far. You know? And so it encourages you to do the minimum. You know, Jesus says this. Hey, hey, listen, listen, listen. If one guy walks with you one mile, you should go with him two miles. It's not about, I have to do these things for God. I get to do this stuff for God. I get to live for God. And, and I'm not going to be confined to a rule. I'm going to live my life free from that. Number four. Creates a works-based mentality. Works-based mentality. You never feel like you do enough for God. You ever felt like that? You don't have to raise your hand. You ever feel like you just never do enough for God? It's a workspace mentality. Or you feel like other people don't do enough because you're doing everything. Martha, right? Mary ain't doing nothing. Like it's, it's you know, they're not doing a thing. That's a workspace mentality. It's all about what you can do or what you're assigning other people to do. Many years ago, we were, we were youth pastors in Nashville, and there was a guy, his wife was really sick, and she passed away. It's terrible. The church rallied behind them, and they were with them every step of the way. But I'll never forget, man, he was so angry. And of course, that happens. You go through grief, man, grief, I, I get it. Grief happens. And it's, it's tough to walk through that. But I'll never forget, he, he came in, and he just pointed his finger at us. And man, he just said in one of our meetings we were in, he goes, man, she passed away. I prayed. My kids prayed. You didn't pray hard enough. The church didn't pray hard enough, so she passed away. What, what is that? It's a works-based mentality. Hey, we did our part. We were supposed to do. You didn't do your part. It's assigning works to other people. So it could be whether, whether you think you're good enough or whatever you assign other folks to do. But that works-based mentality, it'll get you in trouble. All throughout Romans, we found out so far that works cannot save you. They can't. No matter how good you are, no matter what you do, your works cannot make you right with God. I'll go further too. It is a trick of the enemy to get you to believe that you are enough, that I'm saved by God's grace in my life, but I maintain my standing before God based on what I do for God. So it's dependent on me to stay saved by doing all these things for the Lord. No, you are saved by God's grace and what Christ did for you, and that's it. There's nothing else you do to make yourself right with God or earn a place. It's all on Jesus. And if you try to do things to maintain salvation, we'll talk more about this next week, really. We get to chapter 8. You're really trying to pay a bill that's already been paid for. Number five. It creates a feeling of condemnation. And Romans 8.1, we'll get there next week, but Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When, when you feel like you're not good enough, you, you condemn yourself. I just, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not good enough, I, I, I've got this wrong with me and that wrong with me. And, and the problem is, if you don't address that spiritually, it will poison you. And what it will do is it will, it will get you to a place where you will project what you believe about yourself onto other people. Okay? So what happens is, just in context of a church community, you come in and, and you feel that God cannot possibly forgive you. You're not good enough for God. You can never be good enough for God. And, and you feel, have those assumptions. And you assign them to people in your church context. 
So, you know, and then that person leaves, right? It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. They leave, they go somewhere else. Hey, it's great to have you here today. Yeah, it's good. Where'd you come from? Oh, I came from, you know, Radiant Church down the street or whatever. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, they, you know, but here's the thing. They, they just, they were not good to me. They didn't believe in me. They didn't and come to find out, it's not that no one didn't believe in you. No one was there for you. You had assumptions about yourself that were not true, not from the Lord, that you placed on other people and you projected on them. And you believed that, hey, they see me as I see me. And you condemned yourself right out the door away from a community that you desperately needed. Got to be careful with that, okay? Because rules-based Christianity, that through guilt and shame, can make you feel that way. And see things about yourself. We talked about this last week as well. You got to see yourself as God sees you, right? You don't want to see yourself in that negative light. Here's the last one right here. It robs you of joy. Last thing rules-based Christianity is warning here. It'll rob you of joy. Religion, which is what rules-based Christianity is, religion is zero fun. Like, no fun. None whatsoever. Like, literally no fun. You can't dance. You can't go do anything on a Sunday. You just sit around the couch all day, you know? You can't, jo you can't crack jokes about even God. Like, you, I think God's got a great sense of humor. You know what I would love to do? I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to have, I, I almost did it with my staff when I had a staff years ago at a different church I pastored. Put an employee of the month picture in with Jesus' picture in it. It's like, you can't beat that. How do you top Jesus? You can't top Jesus. He's, the, he's perfect. Anyway, maybe it's, just, maybe it's just me. No one likes that. It's just me. Okay. You, 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 Rules-based Christianity robs you of joy and fun. I had a lady one time came up to me, and she said, this is a true story, true, true story. She says, Pastor, because preach, I preach from the New Living Translation. I have reasons for that. But she's like, Pastor, uh, listen, I, I don't believe that Jesus laughed. I made a comment in one of the sermons I preached that day that Christ laughed. It must have been funny or whatever. And she I don't believe he laughed. I said, why is that? Well, I don't know, I, I don't know what your version is, but here's, it doesn't say he laughed in the King James Bible, which is the only authorized version for us to look at. Now, I told her, as a pastor, as a pastor, I'm going to fill you in. I'm being transparent. You get transparency of Pastor Andrew. There are some people that you'll have conversations with, and you're like, hmm, it's going to be interesting to see how this turns out. You know, this, this is kind of one of those conversations a little bit, right? It's like, well, okay. So I told her the story very quickly of why King James Version is authorized. And it's not for the reasons she thought. Because <laughs> you burned at the stake or you were put in prison, buddy, if you had a different version. She did not like that answer, okay? Just to say it quick. And she stormed out of the church. I never saw her again, but that's okay. Addition by subtraction. All right. So, so she just, it is what it is. Listen to me. Joy. God has a sense of humor. How do I know that? We're made in the image of God. We laugh, we cry, we get angry, we love. I think Jesus was the ultimate prankster. He cracked on people all the time. Why? Because that's, that's God and we have a part of that within us, okay? It's joyful. When Jesus ministered, he said, listen, he, he compared it to a wedding celebration. Man, now's the time to be celebrating, to be happy, to be full of joy. Man, it's not to be walking around like it's a funeral because the Son of Man is here. The God has come. And there is a time for that, but not right now. And, and here's the thing about, about, about Jesus. He's your stunt double, right? He was perfect for you. And so the joy of the Lord is supposed to be your what? It's supposed to be your strength. I have strength because I have joy. Not happiness because happiness comes and goes. But joy, you can't take away joy, man. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm changed. I don't care what you say. Hey, I'm going to have joy and have fun and live it up because God's changed my life. That's joy. And we're to have that. I think church ought to be fun. I think we ought to have a lot of fun in church. This ought to be one of the most fun places to come to. Why? Because God's changed us and we're set free. But we typically make it so somber, man. It's okay. Like We need some somber times. But it's okay to have some fun. Okay? Now next week, don't come in. 
the maracas or whatever else you're going to bring in here. But make it fun. Make it fun, okay? Third and final tension is this. I'll talk about it here and we'll wrap it up. Delight in Jesus. Delight in Jesus. Third tension. So why is, why is delighting in Jesus a tension? It's a tension because it centers on believing and surrendering. Okay? You don't surrender first and believe. You believe first and then you surrender. There are folks who think, well, I have to get my life right. I got to change everything about me. I got to make some changes that are substantial first and then God will accept me. No. No. That's not how that works. You believe first. I believe that God can change me. He can forgive me. He can save me. He can set me free. You know what God does next? Then He changes you. As you surrender your life over to Christ, He begins the work of transformation. Whenever we lead, and I'll do it again today, whenever we lead a prayer of salvation here at Radiant Church, how do we start? I always start with what? Savior. Save you from your sins first. That's belief. And then we go to surrender. I give you my life. Be my Lord. Change me. Lead me. Because it starts with belief, and then we move to surrender. You can sense joy in Paul's tone, I think, in verse 25, where he talks about, you know, he answers his own question regarding his struggle with sin. He goes, man, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knew how to delight in living for Christ, and, and he knew that that starts with devoting time to Jesus. I'm going to devote my time to the Lord. All right, past belief, what do I do? Devote my time to Jesus. It's not because you're trying to earn God's favor. You, you already have God's favor. You can't earn that. It's already there. I've got three kiddos. My kids, they have, they have, they have at least half of my DNA, which could be good or bad, depending who you talk to. Half my DNA is there. And, and my kids, they even have my personality in some respects as well. They can do whatever they want to do. Hey, Dad, can we go, can we go to the ball field? Ezra's been asking me every day this week, can we go to the ball field? And I try to go as much as I can. Why? I'll, I'll, I'll change stuff in my schedule because he's my son. You know, Noah, Noah does, he loves to jump up in your lap. And, and watch, you know, he loves sing and sing too. This movie, he, 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 watch the movie together. I'll do that with him. Arya, Arya just wants to do all kinds of stuff. I don't even have time to go through the things Arya wants to do. But she's always daddy. And she's taking me by the hand and doing what, and I make time. Why? Because they're my kids. I will always make time for them. They don't have to earn favor. They already have favor. They don't have to earn my love. They already have my love because they're my kids. And can I tell you that God views you in the same way? You, you don't have to earn it. It's there. You don't have to work for it. It's there. Well, I'm not good enough. Doesn't matter. It's still there. God's love for you is still present because you're one of His. And I realize it depends on what your childhood was like. Because you may not have had a parent who was, who was present. But I can tell you this, God is always present for you. He is always there. He always makes time. And you belong to Him. So I can devote time to other people. I, I absolutely reject this idea that you can follow Christ just fine on your own, but not be part of a community of believers. I reject that on its face. I don't think that's true. That's not God's design. It's not how God built us. God's design was that He values the individual. He calls you as an individual. He equips you as an individual. He empowers you as an individual. God is all about the individual. However, His Word makes it clear that as the individual, you have a role to play in the whole. Right? This is why Paul uses the analogy, the body of Christ. You have a hand, you have a foot, they all have different purposes and functions, but apart from the body, it's kind of useless. They function the way they should when they're connected to the body as a whole. You have gifts, you have abilities, you have things God wants to do through you, that apart from a body will be pointless. 
will not serve a purpose. But connected with others, it completes the picture. It completes the community. And God can use what you have to do incredible and extraordinary things. You have to plug in and be part of a community. You are to belong to each other as you belong to Christ. You are to be with each other as you are with Him. I want to encourage you. We don't guilt trip you at Radiant Church. We will not guilt trip you from missing church or whatever. I, life happens. I get that. But here, here's what I want to do is encourage you. Man, be here as often as you can be here. Why? Not, not because I'm up here, but because other folks are out there. Connect with people. Talk with people. Exchange numbers. Go hang out. Go grab coffee. You know? Go be part of a group. I encourage you to be part of a group. We're not part of a group yet. We just started groups. It's not too late. Be part of one. Why? Because I can get to know people better and grow better, and they're there for me when I'm walking through something, man. Like, the groups are the first line of defense. It's people. Serve on a team if you have a God-given gift or ability. If God's given you a passion for something, find somewhere where you can serve and give back and, 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 and really bless people. Man, give of, yeah, your time, but also finances and resources. Man, give to, to what God is doing here and what God is, is, is building here at Radiant Church. And here's the thing. If we are not the church for you, and I completely recognize that we are not the church for everybody, that's okay. We will help you find one that works. Why? Because we believe that strongly that you should be a part of a community. I've had a few people over the years that we have done that with. I've had one person who just flat out rejected it. I was like, well, then that tells me right off the bat that your desire is not to plug into a body of believers and a community that you should be a part of. Listen, be part of a community where you can grow. Next, remember who we are and whose we are. Remember who we are and whose we are. Every time you're tempted, every time you struggle with sin, that tension builds. Doing the right thing or the wrong thing. It builds in your life. Remember who you are and whose you are. You are who? You are an adopted son or daughter of the king. And we'll talk about that later in Romans 8. In two weeks, we're going to get there in Romans 8. We're going to talk about the spirit of sonship. It's very important. You're, you belong, man, to the creator of the universe who spoke things into existence, who, who took, I mean, the human body always amazes me, who took the complexity of the human body with its nervous system and cardiology system and, every, and just put all that together. Man, you belong to him. You are the head. You're not the tail. Do you know that? You're forgiven. You're set free. You are called by God to live a life of victory in Jesus. And if you can remember those things, boy, that will set you free from some stuff. When you struggle the next time, remember who you are in Christ and what God says you are. It will set you free. You'll overcome some things when you remember that I am not greater but greater is he who lives within me. That spirit of God who is a part of me. Number four, receive your freedom. You don't got to do anything to do this. You were set free because Christ sets you free. So take it. It's right there. You don't got to do anything for it. It's available to you. And he did it all so you could surrender to the Holy Spirit. So do that every day. Surrender to God's Spirit. Pray, Lord, I'm yours. Holy Spirit, can you lead me here? Can you guide me? I don't even know what to say with this person I'm going to see in just a moment. He's walking to the door at work, and, uh, but I know they need something from you. You, you. you show me what to say. I'm not sure where I need to go to have this situation dealt with, but Holy Spirit, will you lead me to the right place? Lead me and guide me. Direct my life. Here's the last one. How do we delight in Christ? We produce fruit. Produce fruit. John the Baptist is ministering to people. He's baptizing folks and as they're turning over to, to the Lord, turning to God. Pharisees come on up. They're out on the scene. And John, I'm not going to read it, but I'll summarize it a little bit for you. John essentially looks at them. He goes, man, hey, don't just get in the water. Produce fruit. Produce fruit. He's not as nice as I said it because he actually says produce fruit to get chopped down. <laughs> produce fruit. It's a command, a directive. They must produce fruit out of our hearts. I said it earlier, so I don't want to rehash it too much. 
But out of our hearts, that flows our actions, our outcomes, our fruit. So if I am doing the right thing, saying the right thing, going to the right places, typically it, is in, it, it indicates my heart is in the right place because out of my heart flows how I live. And if I'm not doing those things, well, my heart is not where it should be. And if I have a mix mash, <laughs> there's a struggle. Living for God or myself, where am I at? See, come on up. Out of your heart, you produce something. Either it's great, sweet, wonderful fruit, or it's rotten. But how you live typically is a window into where your heart's at. Three tensions that, that can't exist in our struggle with sin. We kind of laid them out today, kind of walked through some lists. Uh, my question to you is, where do you find yourself at this morning? Did any of these tensions strike a chord with you? Something there that maybe the Holy Spirit's dealing with you about. Are you too rules-based this morning? Are you too legalistic in your approach? Do you have joy? When's the last time you could say, I'm full of joy? If it's been a while, then perhaps, whether it's through the enemy or whether it's through a different way of living on your part, but perhaps that joy has been robbed. You know what you need? You need God to restore that joy. Do you delight in following Christ or do you find that following Jesus is really burdensome? This is all the stuff I have to do. Hey, that right there tells me what? If I have to do it, my heart's not in it. Let's deal with that today. It's not that I have to. I get to. I get to live for Christ. I get to do this. I get to be a part of this. Are you struggling in this tension to live for Christ or to live according to your sinful nature? Paul starts off Romans 8, very famous message. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Tension is real. The struggle can be difficult at times. But no matter what you are dealing with today, I can tell you this, no matter where you're at spiritually, no matter what you're struggling with, you can always come back home can always come back home to a God who with open arms will take you back in and say, okay, let's work on this stuff. Let's, let's fix it. Let's do something about it. Let's get you where you need to be, man. Let's get you mercy, forgiveness. Let's get you healing. Let's get you grace. Let's get you what you need to become the person that I know you can be, that I've called you to be, I've designed you to be. Bow your heads, close your eyes if you would here this morning. Thanks for hanging with me. Maybe you're here today and said, Pastor, I'm listening to everything you've talked about. And that whole notion of how you live and outcomes and actions and yeah, that whole bit, that kind of hit home with me because I'll be honest with you today. I'm, I cannot say that my life lines up with Jesus. So let's do something about that. If that's you in a moment, I'm going to lead a prayer. You don't have to say it out loud if you don't want to. It's fine, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead a prayer, model a prayer of what it means to pray for Jesus to be your Savior who can save you from your sin and then what it means to make Him Lord where you surrender to Him and He begins to lead you. I just want you to pray that prayer with me. And then I'm going to come back and pray for those of you who are believers that God will work in your life as we live out this tension so, Father, I, I, I pray first for those who don't know you. They're here today and they say, man, I, I look at my life and I realize how I'm living, it doesn't line up. So I want to do something about it today. And so, Jesus, I need you. Will you forgive me for the sin that I've done? Will you come into my life and forgive me of all my wrong and all my sin? Will you make me whole? Will you allow me to have a new start, a reset in my life? 
I, I, I don't want to work. I, I can't earn my way to you. I, 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 it, I get that you just gave it to me. I, I want to take it. I want to take that freedom. I want to take that hope in you. So forgive me and save me. But I don't want to stop there. I, I want you to take control. So from this day forward, I'm going to surrender my life over to you. Will you be Lord of my life? Will you lead me and guide me? I, I've lived my own way and I've done my own thing. And I know where that gets me. I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to follow you. Change me. Do what you got to do inside of me to help me become the person that, that you know I can be. I want to be that version of me, man. I want to be the version that you've called. So will you lead me and direct me? And I promise I'll do the best I can. I won't commit everything I've got to live for you this day forward. I know, God, there'll be times where I'm going to mess up. I know that tension the pastor talked about. That tension's going to play out. Every time I fall, man, pick me back up. Every time I mess up, Lord, forgive me. Every time I miss that mark, man, bring me back home. I, 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 I just, I want to follow you. So from this day on, be my Savior and be my Lord. God, for those who are Christians today and they're struggling, there's, there's tension in their life of living for you and living according to sin. Maybe they're too legalistic. Maybe they're too rules-based. Maybe they've, they don't see themselves the way you see them, God. Maybe there's some things that just aren't adding up in their life, you know, and their heart's not where it should be. God, whatever it might be, first I pray for conviction. Not guilt, but conviction. Holy Spirit, convict them. Show them, hey, you're off right here. God, Restore joy to somebody today who has been without joy for many years. God, restore that joy in the name of Jesus. Restore the joy that they need. God, bring them back where they need to be with, with you and standing with you. Lord, help them to live a life that is marked by being empowered by your Holy Spirit. May the goodness of God flow through them. May the mercy of God and the forgiveness and the love of God be in all that they do as they interact with folks who need you. And help them, Lord, to live lives that you're pleased with, not because of what they do for you, but because of the faith they have in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Thank you for what you're going to do in every heart and soul that's here. Thank you for changing us, for starting us on this journey of, of becoming like you. Lord, I pray that, that you would continue to work inside of our hearts until the day you call us home and complete this journey. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.